So anyway, we are uh, finishing up our series today. We are uh, talking about faith in action. And we're going to have two uh, passages that we're going to read about uh, here uh, just shortly. But faith in action. So our first week uh, was Easter Sunday. As we were kicking off the Easter celebration, we were talking about the, the power of Christ uh, in our lives. Uh, the second week, we preached about uh, how we are to put our past behind us, how to get our to get the past in the past. Uh, last week, Dad talked about becoming a part of God's family. And so today is about putting that faith into action, putting that faith. Uh, so we say we believe God. We believe that Christ rose from the dead. And so what does that mean in our daily lives? How should we act in our daily lives? And as I was thinking about this uh, in a few weeks, uh, we'll be going down as a family to Florida uh, for vacation and uh, Nicole's not here, but uh, don't tell her that, you know, for years she, she always wanted to go to the beach. I would rather just go to the mountains. I would rather go out into a cabin in the woods and just be by myself. Uh, but she has always wanted to go to the beach. And I'm not a good swimmer. I can swim, but I'm not a good swimmer. And so I would rather, uh, for years, I resisted going to the beach. So uh, we, for a few years, we went to Myrtle Beach. And if you've ever been to Myrtle Beach or anywhere on the East Coast there, to this day, I still don't understand how people think that that is relaxing. I saw something posted on Facebook about a year or so ago, and it showed a guy uh, standing in the water, and there was a wave smacking him right upside the head, and the caption was, uh, this is really relaxing to me. And that's how I always felt about being at the beach, was you can't really relax because you got you got a, waves hitting you all the time, and it, it's not relaxing. But anyway, where we're going, it's in the on the Gulf Coast, and so it's very calm water. We really enjoy it. And uh, one thing about it is Finley likes to be there as well. He likes to be in the water. Uh, he likes being in the pool, but uh, it, it, Myrtle Beach doesn't like it because he's afraid of the waves. But uh, we were actually talking yesterday because we got him a new life jacket, and we were talking about, uh, Nicole said something about we need to teach him. Uh, right now he likes to be in the water, but he wants you to hold him uh, while he's in the water, even if he's got his little life jacket on. And so Nicole said something about it. She said we need to teach him this year that he can let go and he'll be okay. And uh, it's Finley, when he's in the pool, he's having fun. But the minute you start pushing him away a little bit and try letting him just float with his life jacket on, I mean, he starts shaking. He doesn't like it at all. He wants you to be close to him. And sometimes that's how we are as Christians. We say we have faith. We are told by God throughout Scripture that he would take care of us. And that no matter what happens in our lives, if we uh, think back to our Sunday school lesson, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, they said, we know that God can save us, but even if he doesn't, it'll be okay. And so it's, it's easy for us to say that. But the minute we start getting into rough waters, the minute we stop feeling like God is right there with us, we kind of get like Finley gets, we, we start shaking a little bit. We start getting afraid. We don't know what to do. And so this morning, we're looking at how faith can change our lives, how faith ought to permeate everything uh, in our lives. And so, again, we're looking at faith in action. And our first uh, passage we're going to look at is in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. And here's uh, what Luke says, and this is a, a story of Christ. He says, and when he, Christ, had completed all of his teaching, in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. Now, certain slaves, uh, now, centurion slave, uh, who was highly regarded by him, was sick 
was about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and save uh, the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they strongly urged him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation. And it was, uh, and he, it is, was he who built our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them. So here uh, in Luke chapter 7, this is right after the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus had been teaching for a while. And so the Bible says they enter into Capernaum. And here is where we see that if you have true faith, true faith requires action. They enter into Capernaum, and this centurion, this Roman centurion, uh, is there in town, and he hears about Jesus coming. Now, it's important to understand, when we talk about the Roman centurion, who this guy actually was. So uh, if, you, if you're not aware, during this time, the nation of Israel was under captivity. Uh, they were under Roman rule. And so this Roman centurion was there uh, as kind of a peacekeeper. He, they were an occupied land, much like uh, in our world today when a, a nation is conquered and, and uh, they are being occupied by another country. There are soldiers there in the area that are there to keep peace. And that's who this Roman centurion was. And so it's important to understand that this Roman centurion was he was not Jewish. Uh, he was he was a Gentile. He uh, was someone that really, for all intents and purposes, should not have really understood who Christ was. Uh, Christ came and he talked and he taught to the Jewish people. And yet this Roman centurion knew who Jesus was and he recognized Jesus' power. And so uh, I believe, I mean, we're not told specifically, but I, I believe that this man had heard about Christ and he had uh, had maybe studied the Old Testament and maybe he understood exactly who Christ was. But no matter what his thought about Jesus was, he knew that Jesus had performed miracles. And so this centurion has a, a servant that works for him and he is very sick. And this, this uh, servant, we're not told his name, but this servant was very important to this centurion. And so he knows that Jesus is in the area and he uh, understands that Jesus has the power to heal him. And so he sends some Jewish leaders out to go talk to Jesus. And it's amazing, even the Jewish leaders talked very highly about this centurion. They said, listen, they, they come to Jesus and they say, hey, there's, there's this Roman centurion. He's a Gentile. Uh, he's got a slave that's sick. Uh, he wants you to come heal him. And they said, but you should do this for this guy because he's very kind, he's very nice, uh, he's a very good person. In fact, he, he built a synagogue for us. And he was, you know, he's, he's taking care of us. He's, he's not one of the bad guys, he's one of the good guys. And so that shows us in our lives, whenever we uh, fall into any problems, our first reaction ought to be to go to Jesus. Amen. This Roman centurion probably couldn't explain to you exactly all of, you know, that Jesus was the Son of God and that Jesus came to live a perfect life, to die on the cross and raise again three days. He couldn't tell you all of that. But he knew that something was different about Christ. He knew that Christ had come from God. And he knew that if he were to have faith in, in Christ, he had that faith, but he had to put some action behind that. He had to go to Christ. He had to, to ask Christ to come and to heal this slave for him. And in our lives, sometimes it is difficult to understand why we were put in certain situations. Again, if we're thinking back to our Sunday school lesson, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three young men who 
uh, at a very young age, had been taken away from their homeland, taken captive, taught a completely different, uh, uh, completely different language, completely different culture, and all they are trying to do is live for God. All they're trying to do is do what is right. And yet, in the middle of all that, they get threatened with death because they won't fall down and worship the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had made. And if I were in that situation, I would be difficult. I would be hard pressed to say uh, exactly what the, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. I would be hard pressed to say, "Hey, God's going to deliver me, or can deliver me." But even if He doesn't, it's okay. In my life, I might be thinking, "God, this doesn't make any sense." I'm doing exactly what you told me to do. I am standing up for what's right. And now I am facing death because I am doing what God wants me to do. That's not how things are supposed to go for Christians. Things are supposed to be great. Things are supposed to just always work out. But yet, in our lives, we do need to have the attitude of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that God can save me, yes. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't deliver me from this situation, I'm still going to worship him. And uh, I, I don't know, uh, Dad, in, in your book, it, in my lesson book, it had a little section in there about you know, the question of, you know, yeah, God did save Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but even the writer of Hebrews acknowledges that there were lots of people in the Old Testament that stood for, Christ, stood for God, and God didn't save them. And they were sawn in two, and they were uh, torn limb from limb. They were killed uh, for speaking the truth of God's word. And so sometimes it's hard to have that faith. But I've read a quote, and I've heard this quote many times. It's attributed, I was telling Dad before service, it's attributed to Charles Spurgeon. uh, But we're not positive. He said something similar to this uh, in a sermon. uh, And so we're just going to say it was... uh, Uh, Charles Spurgeon. The the thought at least comes from Charles Spurgeon. And here's what he says. He says, God is too good to be unkind, and he's too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. When you are so weak, you cannot do much more than cry. You coin diamonds with both your eyes. The sweetest prayers God ever hears are the groans and signs of those who have no hope in anything but his love. When you can't trace his hand, you must trust his heart. And in our lives, just like this Roman centurion, he may not have understood why this servant was sick. He may not have understood what was going on and what God's purpose was in all this. We may not understand what's going on in our lives, but even though we cannot uh, understand God's hand in our life, we don't understand what's going on, we can trust God's heart. We can trust that God one day will make all things right. And so in our lives, our faith requires action. I heard a, a sermon this week. As I was getting this together, I was uh, driving. Uh, it was some. It was like a local. It wasn't a, a nationally known preacher. It was a local preacher, I believe. And he was talking about... Uh, when Paul talks about putting the old man to death, and uh, you know, whenever you become a Christian, Paul says to put to death the old things of your life. And he made a comment that I'd never really thought of it this way. He said, you know, when Paul says that, that means you have something to do. 
Paul doesn't say, let you know, the preacher put to death your old life. He says, you need to put to death. Paul says, I am putting to death the old man day after day after day. So in our lives, we can say that we have faith in Christ, but if we don't do something about that faith, if we don't act on that faith, then really that faith is in vain. That faith doesn't mean anything. And when we are facing situations of sickness and we're facing situations of, of marital problems or we're facing financial issues, if we don't have, if we don't put our faith into action and say, God, I'm giving this to you. I am trusting you no matter what goes on in my life. I am trusting you in this. If we don't put that faith to action, it's not doing us any good. But secondly, let's look at uh, the rest of the, the passage here in Luke chapter uh, 7, uh, verse uh, 6 uh, through 10. It says, Now Jesus started on his way with them. But already, when he was not yet far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to enter under my roof. For that reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man that placed under authority with soldiers under myself. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and he turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such one, uh, such great faith. And when those had gone, uh, gone had, and when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. And so faith requires action, but secondly, true faith believes that Jesus can do anything. This man, this Roman centurion, had this faith that Jesus could heal his servant. In fact, it was so strong, before Jesus even gets to his house, he sees Jesus coming and he sends messengers out to him. He says, Jesus, you don't even need to come to my house. He says, first of all, I'm not even worthy that you would come into my house. He said, that's why I didn't even go to you, because I felt like I wasn't even worthy to be in your presence. And I sent Jewish people out to go talk to you. But he says, Jesus, you know, he understood authority. He said, I, you've got authority just like I do, but you've got even more. He said, I've got authority here on earth. I tell, you know, I tell this person to go, go over here, and he goes over there. I tell this person to go help these people, and they go. And he says, Jesus, you have more authority than I do. He says, all you have to do is say the word and my servant will be healed. And the Bible says that Jesus was amazed at this guy's faith. And he turns to the crowds and he says that he says, in all of the time that I've been here speaking to Jewish people, he said, I've not found anybody in Israel that's had this kind of faith. And it's important for us to understand that Jesus can do anything. I remember uh, when I was in college, once a year they would do a, what they call a day of prayer, and we, they would cancel classes, and uh, they would have different prayer sessions set up for us, and we would break into small groups and do different things. And, and I remember one time, uh, Brother Bert Tippett, who is in heaven now, uh, he read a scripture where Peter says that, uh, when Peter says, now to him who is able to do abundantly, exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. And I never thought about that passage in this way before, but he said, you know, he said, Peter says here that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more 
than we could ask or even imagine. And so he challenged us. He said, I want you to think about the most outlandish thing that God could do in your life. Something in your mind is absolutely impossible, and I want you to pray about that. And that was one thing that really challenged me because, you know, a lot of times when we have prayer, you know, when we take prayer requests, there are times that we are pretty confident about the outcome of something, but we're nervous about it, and so we ask for prayer. But there are a lot of times where we're pretty confident that it's going to be a negative outcome. And so we ask for prayer, but we don't really believe that Christ can do it. And here this centurion, he had heard about uh, Christ's miracles that he had done. And so I'm sure he had heard that, you know, he touched this person and he, he interacted with this person and they were healed. But this man said, Jesus, you don't even need to be here. All you have to do is just say the word and you don't even have to be in our presence and it'll happen. And so for our, in, in our lives today, we need to have that kind of faith. And I think it's important to understand that having true and sincere faith doesn't really do much good if your true and sincere faith, if what you're putting it in, is not worthy of that faith. In our house, we have a two-story house and our garage has a beam that goes across. Uh, and um, to hold up the, the ceiling because there's a second story above it. And there, the, I don't really care about the beam, that's fine. But the problem is it's a two-car garage, but I can't really use the garage that well. We can fit one car in there. But the problem is there's a post right in the middle of that that garage floor that holds up that beam. <coughs> and so I want to get rid of that, that post. And Our house was built in the 70s, and so technology's changed quite a bit since the 70s. And they make now what they call laminated beams, and they, they are a lot stronger. They can carry weight a lot further without a supporting post. And so uh, at the beginning of this year, I started looking. I, I thought, I want to get, you know, I want to get laminated beans, put that in there. And as I looked at it, I did some research on the Internet, and I, I thought, I think I can fit four beams up there. You can put those beams back to back to back like that. And I, if I got four of those, I think that'll work. The problem is our bedroom's right over that garage. So I can think and have faith in my Google research that those beams are going to carry what I need it to carry. But the problem is I, I don't have, I'm not really educated enough to make that decision. So I've had to hire an engineer to come out, and it's aggravating because I'm paying him quite a bit of money to make these drawings for, for me. And as soon as he showed up, I, I told him what I wanted to do. And he said, yeah, I'm pretty sure that'll work. And he said, but I'll, I'll do the calculations. And he said, I'll, you know, because they got all the load calculations and all that. And he said, I'll draw everything up to you so you can get the permits and all that stuff. And so in our lives, you know, in that situation, I could have faith that that beam was going to hold me up. But if I don't have faith in, in my knowledge about it, that faith isn't really doing me any good. i got to find somebody who's authoritative in that, that really understands it, that I can truly put my faith into his calculations. It reminded me of... Uh, I remember Dad talking about this in, a, uh, in the, the sermon outline. It gave a, uh, an illustration that was similar to this. So I looked up this. In the 1800s, 1874, there was a bridge built in St. Louis. Uh, it's called the Eads Bridge. And uh, it was the first of its kind. It was uh, arch. 
they, the trusses were archways, and they did that so that way boats could go underneath it and the bridge wouldn't have to be as tall. But it was the first of its kind, and a lot of people didn't really understand how arches worked, and they didn't think it was going to work. Uh, it was, I think they also used steel, which was one of the first times that steel had been used, uh, rather than just uh, iron. And so people weren't really sure that it was going to work. And so at the time, there was an urban legend that people believed that the belief was that elephants would not walk across a structure that was not safe. That elephants somehow had some sixth sense uh, that they would not walk across a bridge if it wasn't safe. Now, there is some truth to the fact that uh, if an elephant uh, thinks that ground is unstable, they'll kind of pound on it with their trunk before they step forward. But they don't, you know, they're not engineers. They don't know if a bridge is going to hold their weight or not. But to prove to people that the bridge was safe, uh, this guy had this parade, and at the very front of the parade, he rode an elephant across that bridge. And once he rode that elephant across that bridge, everybody had faith that that bridge was going to hold up uh, to the traffic because that elephant walked across there. And so that was kind of a silly deal, and, and people believed it. But again, if we have faith in things that really shouldn't have faith put into them, it doesn't do us any good. But our faith is in the maker and the creator of this world. Our faith is in the one who the Bible says not only created the world, but he sustains the world right now. It is amazing to me. I hear recently there's been uh, a a pretty well-known preacher has made some statements about uh, creation and evolution and and how Christianity is is cohesive with, with evolution and and listen, I understand, I've made the statement before, I understand if, if non-Christians have a hard time believing the things of the, of the Bible. I've, I understand if non-Christians understand, or have a hard time believing the miracles that are mentioned in the Bible. But if I'm going to put my faith into this eternal being to save my soul, if I am going to put my faith and say that Jesus was born He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross and he rose again three days later and he's coming back uh, at some point. If I have faith in that, why is it so difficult to believe that any of the miracles that are listed in, in Scripture, why is it so difficult for me to believe that those are true? Why is it so difficult for other people around Jesus to not believe? Why is it so difficult for them to believe that he can do these miracles when the centurion says, look, You have the authority. I know you have the authority. All you have to do is speak the word and it'll happen. And so in our lives, we need to make sure that we believe that Christ can do anything in our lives. But thirdly, uh, in James chapter 2, we're going to skip to James uh, and talk a little bit about how we are uh, to live our lives uh, in this world. James chapter 2 Verse 14 through 17, James says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says that he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace and be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith that has no works is dead, being by itself. So thirdly, true faith joins God in serving the world. 
James is such a good book for Christians to read because James is all about the practical side of Christianity. Okay, you've become a Christian. What does that mean? How are you supposed to live your life now? James talks about controlling your tongue. He talks about controlling your anger. And here he is talking about your faith. And he makes the statement saying, what good is saying you're a Christian if it is not affecting how you treat others? If it doesn't affect how you live, if it doesn't affect your daily life, what good is it for you to get up on Sunday morning, come here, sing a couple songs, listen to a 30-minute sermon, or in Dad's case, an hour-long sermon? What good is it if you are not, if you are not allowing your faith to change your life? In our world, first of all, uh, I, I, the media would love to give Christians a bad rap at every turn. There's been, in the last few years, discussions among the media and all the talking heads about, well, if Christians are going to be so political, we need to take away their the tax-exempt status from churches. Not like Most studies show it's above 90%. I think it's about 95% of all charitable giving in America is given through Christian organizations. Christians are by far the most charitable people in America. This last year, there's been a lot of discussion about abortion and, and a lot of, a lot of uh, non-Christians and even a lot of people who claim to be Christians that are all for abortion. They say, well, if these Christians don't want abortion, they should just adopt. Did you know that uh, Christians, if you look per capita, Christians are twice as likely to adopt a child than a non-Christian person. Christians do allow their faith to be worked out in their life. And so I, I don't want to just bash us over the head saying, oh, we're doing a terrible job. We need to be helping the poor. We need to do all this because we do it. But the fact is that every part of our lives ought to be lived through the fact that we believe in a Savior that came and died and rose again to forgive every single one of our sins. When we truly understand that, we will view non-Christians in a different light. Because then we will understand that they are just like we were before we became Christians. And they need someone to tell them about the, the forgiveness of sins that they can, uh, they can have through Christ. They need someone to help them. And James says, if you say that you are a Christian and you have faith and yet you are not helping those around you, what good are you being? It's almost like going to the doctor. No one likes to go to the doctor. Uh, I, I always say I love going to the eye doctor uh, because, uh, and I think the reason I like going to the eye doctor is because, you know, when you go to the doctor, to a regular doctor, they can, you know, get on to you about eating right and about exercise and all that stuff. And so if you've got high blood pressure or cholesterol, normally it's your fault. Normally you're not doing what you ought to do. When you go to the dentist, uh, you know, they, you know, they talk to you about flossing and all that stuff. And normally if you have a cavity, normally it's your fault. When you go to the eye doctor, I mean, your eyes are what they are. Uh, you know, the doctor's not going to sit there and lecture you and say, well, you know, your eyesight's getting worse. And, you know, if you would just do these exercises, it, they would get better. They're, you know, they're just there to give you glasses or contacts or whatever. So I like going to the, the eye doctor. But when we go to the doctor, even though we don't like to hear what they have to say a lot of times, if you have something wrong with you and they give you medicine, that medicine is there to help you. 
But if we're to take what James says and kind of put it into this illustration of going to the doctor, if, the, if you go to the doctor and you say, ma'am, I, you know, I, I've got this ailment, and they give you medicine. And so you get the prescription filled and you, you put it in your medicine cabinet and it just sits there. That's kind of like what James is saying is, I have faith that that medicine's going to take care of me, but if, if I don't take it out of the medicine cabinet and, and actually take it, what good is it doing? It's just sitting there. And so James is trying to tell us our lives ought to be lives that are marked by generosity, marked by love, marked by spreading God's love around us. And if our lives are not marked by those things, we've come and we've got the prescription and, and we have that faith, but it's just sitting on the counter and we're not doing anything with it and it's not being effective in this world. Sometimes people that aren't Christians or maybe even younger Christians, sometimes the question is asked, well, if you've already been forgiven of your sins and, and you're ready to go to heaven, why doesn't God just take you now? Or why not, you know, just take care of it now and just just uh, take yourself to heaven? Well, the answer really is that while we are here on earth, we are commanded to go spread the gospel. While we are here on earth, we have been given the gift of salvation, but we are commanded to tell other people about it. And that's why we are still here. We have a purpose in our lives. We have something that God wants us to accomplish. And if we are not allowing our faith to be put into practice, then as James says, our faith, it's dead. It's useless. It doesn't mean anything. And so this morning, as we reflect back over these last four weeks, you know, I, I really appreciated this, this sermon series because a lot of times we, we celebrate Easter and we, we talk about the, the power of the resurrection. And then the week after Easter, it's kind of all forgotten. Now we're on thinking about, you know, the end of school and we're thinking about, you know, summer vacations and we're thinking about what we got to do for the rest of the year. But really, if we truly believe that Christ has the power to resurrect himself from the dead then that ought to affect everything that we do in our lives as Christians because that means that that power, that authority, is in us. It's been given to us to go change the world. And so this morning I challenge you to put your faith into action. Allow Christ to work in your life. Truly believe that Christ has the power to change the things that are going on in your lives. And be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Sunday school and say, listen, even if my circumstances don't change, I know I still serve a living God, and in the end, everything will be fine. It may not be fine here on this earth, but in the end, it'll be fine. And so this morning, we ought to live our lives in a way that people look at our lives and say, there is something different, and I want what they have. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the examples in Scripture that we saw this morning in, in Sunday school and also uh, with this Roman centurion. Lord, people that have faith that you are able to do anything in our lives. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be bold in living for you. That we would have faith in your power and that you would use that faith to change the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
as we sing a hymn, you're more than welcome to come and pray.